Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes today that we might see Jesus. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. If you've ever watched the Citizen Kane of stupid funny movies, Dumb and Dumber, there's a line in that film which goes like this. Lloyd is speaking to his love interest and he asks her, is there a chance that you'll go out with me? And she says, it's pretty slim. I said, well, is that like, is there like maybe one in a hundred chance you'll go out with me? And he said, no, it's more like one in a million. To which Lloyd then smiled and says, so there is a chance. <laughs> Here's the thing. We just read this passage about someone's worldview getting completely and categorically shifted. A worldview that was totally changed. Now, for Lloyd, his worldview was predisposed to always think that he was going to have a chance dating this girl, whether it was one in a hundred chance or one in a million chance, but there's always a chance. And no matter what other information comes to her, or to, to Lloyd, actually, he's always going to choose to see it the way he wants to see it. In this story, we see three things that the resurrection does to change our worldview. One, the resurrection is grounded in truth, it's grounded in grace, and it's grounded in love. It's grounded in truth. Every Sunday throughout the world, people utter these words. They say, I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, who was crucified under Pontius Pilate. How did Pontius Pilate even make it into a creed? I mean, a, an obscure governor in an obscure province in the middle of the backwater of the Roman Empire. Is, we talk about him more than we talk about Julius Caesar, if you think about that. Why is it that we talk about him? Because Jesus is grounded in history. He's not just a myth. He's not a fable. He's not just a good story. He's an actual person who lived and breathed and walked upon the earth. Now, here's the thing. On that Easter Sunday, it's the third day after Jesus' crucifixion, Mary goes with Mary and Mary. I know. If you were going to make up a story, would your three main characters be called Mary, Mary, and Mary? No. In fact, that would be like, dude, don't do that. They're not going to believe the story if you're writing historical fiction. So the point is, Mary goes to the tomb with her two friends. They want to anoint Jesus' body and wash it with about 75 pounds worth of spices um, on that morning. And when she gets there, she sees that the stone is rolled away. And she goes in, and there's no one there. The body's not there. And she's met by someone in bright raiment, in bright, dazzling white clothes, and says, Jesus isn't here. There's something crazy happening there. Now, you might go, okay, well, yeah, that was the first century. They're really gullible, Okay. We in the 21st century, we're pretty clever. We're really, really scientific. And they were pretty unscientific back then. Well, here's the thing. Let's not engage in chronological snobbery. And what I mean by that is this, is that actually somehow that, you know, like, you know, somehow we think, oh, I know so much more than my parents do. Or so much more than my grandparents know, right? Do we think we know more than our ancestors? And actually, 
the resurrection shook Mary Magdalene's worldview because it was grounded in truth. And what do I mean by that? She was just as predisposed to not believe in the resurrection as you and I are predisposed to not believe in the resurrection. Last week, I, I had the privilege of going to my 81-year-old uncle's funeral in Southern Pines, North Carolina. He liked to live in Southern Pines because there's the Aberdeen Gulf. I mean, I went there. We had his visitation on Saturday at 10 in the morning, open casket, and this beautiful, like, orange and purple argyle, like, golf jacket, just because that's what you wear, right? And Uncle Foster was sitting there um, with his makeup on, and, uh, or his body was there. And it was just a beautiful man, an amazing southern gentleman. And um, I went up and I, I touched his body. And if you've ever been to a funeral, you know how bodies are. They don't move. They don't breathe. They don't talk. So we're predisposed to not believe that. Well, in the first century, a first century Jew did believe in the resurrection. And if you've ever been to a Jewish funeral and you ever hear them say Kaddish, um, very high and very exalted are you, O Lord, and not once in the whole Kaddish prayer do you ever mention death or the bereaved. Because the idea is that you believe in the resurrection, not in the here and now, but in the world to come, way in the future, at the redemption of all ages, the redemption of everything, at the redemption of Israel. It's going to happen way out there, but not here and now. That's a, it's true now if you go to a Jewish funeral. It was true in the first century if you went to a Jewish funeral. So Jews were disinclined to believe in the resurrection. Now you might say, okay, well, what was the other kind of prevailing worldview that was there in, 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 in Israel, in first century Palestine, in that, in that um, province of Palestine? Well, here's the, the deal. It was a Roman worldview. The Romans followed this guy called Plato, and Plato did this play on words in Greek. He said, you know, the truth of the matter is that the body's bad, the soul is good, and the whole goal is your, your soul needs to escape the body. The body, the soma is entombed in the Sema. So the, it was a plan where Soma and Sema is like, your, your soul is entombed, but as soon as your soul can escape, ah. So in fact, the resurrection would have been a horrible thing for Romans. That was not a good thing. A bodily resurrection is something they were disinclined to believe in, just as you and I are disinclined to believe in a bodily resurrection. I say that because something challenges their worldview and something comes crashing into our worldview. And I would say it's this. Our second point, it's grounded in grace, okay? It's grounded in truth and history. It's grounded in grace. Mary goes to the tomb looking for Jesus. Now, look at the order of how this works. She doesn't know where Jesus is, but Jesus knows where she is. She says, what does she say? Does she say, teacher? And then he says, Mary? Or is it the other way around? He says, Mary. And then she says, Rabbi, teacher. You see, the great theologian Bono put it this way. Bono from U2. <laughs> he said, there's only two religions out there. There's either grace or karma. Now, which one do you want? Now, you might, oh, well, they're all the same, right? No. Here's the thing. Karma is the idea that if I do good things, good things come back on me. If I do bad things, bad things come back on me. And that means that, like, you're pretty responsible for running this universe. And that's not really great. Because, man, it's, it would, I'd have the weight of the world on my shoulders if that were the case. Mary is looking for Jesus. She's searching, but she can't find him. Jesus 
finds her. That's what grace is. He finds her first. And here's the way that grace works. God goes to a woman, not a man in the first century. And here's another reason why the resurrection makes sense. Because you see, in the, in the court of law in the first century, if you were a man, your testimony was worth twice that of a woman. If you had a litigation, any lawyers in the room? You don't have to raise your hand. Um, but if you had a witness, you would want to choose a witness who's more credible in the stand than the other. So if you had a woman in the first century, you'd need to have two women for every one man that's going to testify against you. So if you're going to choose a story, you're not going to get a woman to be the first witness of the resurrection. I mean, seriously, that's just a bad idea. And then on top of that, you're a lawyer, right? So you're going to want to get a good, credible witness. You want someone who's got good character, right? You're not going to go to someone called Mary Magdalene, who if you read other parts of the Gospels, say that, well, she was a woman of ill repute. Like, you don't want a witness character like that, someone who's a worker of the night. And there's another part of the gospel which says that she had seven demons. Now, it doesn't mean necessarily that she had seven. Seven is a Hebrew way of saying perfection or like totally or mega, right? So she was like mega possessed. <laughs> so you don't choose someone to be a witness of the resurrection who is emotionally unstable. So think about that. Why are the gospel writers putting Mary as one of the first people to see it? Because it's not about what you do or what you know or how you behave. It's the opposite. It's grace, not karma. And grace finds us way before we've ever been seeking out grace. It's grounded in truth. It's grounded in grace. And then thirdly, it's grounded in love. One of the epistles says this, And this is love, not that I have first loved you, but that you have loved me and given yourself as the atoning sacrifice for all. You see, we don't love God first. He loves us, and then we respond to his overtures, his gracious overtures of love. It's grounded in love. Now, you may have heard this scripture read at different points, or you're wondering, what in the world's going on where Jesus says, don't, don't cling to me, right? Don't hold on to me. And you might say, oh, that's because Jesus is so holy. He's saying, Mary, don't touch me. That's not what he's saying. Actually, Mary has thought that she lost Jesus, that Jesus was dead. For three years, Jesus went around telling his disciples, I'm going to suffer on the cross, I'm going to die, and I'm going to resurrect. And they thought, that's a wonderful metaphor. <laughs> and then what happens? They go to the grave because they want to mourn the guy because he's dead. And then they discover that he's alive. Not only is he, he's alive, but he is this risen, conquering son who's defeated hell, death, in the grave. Endless is the victory that thou hast won, we sang in our opening hymn. Jesus has punched a hole in death, sin, and the grave. Because of that deathless love, we can now receive and give that same love to everyone else. Jesus says, don't cling to me. And here's the thing. It's, it's not that she's grabbing him. It's that she's holding him so tight in this embrace of love. That You know what Jesus is actually saying in this passage? He's saying, ouch. <laughs> You're holding on too tight to me. You're hugging me so tight. Have you ever like almost lost someone? And then you find them again. And then you give them the strongest hug ever. That's what Mary is doing. Do not cling to me. 
Because then later on he says, no, you can totally cling to me. But go, go, tell the disciples. Your love for me should compel you to go share this love with others. Go tell them. Be a witness of the resurrection. Jesus' resurrection gives us the power to live and love when we don't think that we're able to live or love. This morning at 6.30 in the morning, we actually had a baptism at the sea for a one of our friends, Dave, who started coming to our Wednesday morning Bible studies. It was really cool because Dave's got this cool but crazy testimony of really struggling through life and, and, and struggling with, with unhealthy addictions. And seven months ago, God rescued him, brought him out of those unhealthy addictions. And, and we, as we were chatting during Bible studies, I, I said, you know, have you, have you ever really just encountered God's love? Have you ever really just given yourself over to him? And have you ever been baptized? I said, well, no, but I'd love to experience that. And I said, I said, you know, you want to be able to say no to those things that you need to say no to? Then you need to be zapped by the power of the Spirit and feel that resurrection life in yourself. So this morning at 6.30 in the morning, we took some ocean water and we dumped it on that guy. And it was fun. <laughs> and then after we did that, we did the whole thing, which is what? We welcome you. Jesus welcomes us that we might come and receive that power of the resurrection, that we would live in that truth, live in that grace, and live in that love. So, Father, we thank you for that gift of your Son and the gift of your love. Amen.